Alrighty. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome a guest to the show today who has written what I would consider to be one of the most remarkable, confronting and interesting books that I've ever read in my life. I want to introduce to you our guest, Megan Jackson Hall. Megan, g'day mate. How are you today? I am fine. Thank you. A little nervous. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. You are very, very welcome. Now, I want to put a little bit of context around the interview because I've read your second book. Uh, I understand that you are deep into writing your third book at the moment. So we're kind of going to jump around the different books. And while we are going to reference probably most of the one that I know, uh, I think it's important for people to understand that the, the books are interconnected intimately, aren't they? Yes, most definitely. Now, I said about your book that uh, I, the three act adjectives that I used uh, kind of change a little bit. It was surprising. It was a little bit confronting. Um, tell us the book itself. It's written as a diary, correct? Yes, yes definitely. And definitely. it's it seems in many ways that it's like a stream of consciousness of the thoughts that are coming into your head from, directly from your mental illness. Yes. And um, I, what I want to say from up front is that in my first book, I had asked for a ghost writer. And I strongly feel I have someone on the other end of my book that is even deepening the understanding of what's going on for me mentally. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the, the, the mentally at the moment. I understand that you're diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. Yes. Can you yeah. give us a, a broad outline of what schizoaffective disorder is? Okay. Schizoaffective is um, schizophrenia with either hallucinations or delusions. In my case, it is delusions. I don't see anything. Um, and also um, a mental disorder dealing with depression or mania. Mm -hmm. And for me, if for me, I would cry at little things. So yeah. it was more like depression. I didn't really I did have an episode of man mania at the very beginning. So I think that is why they lumped it together. Now, yeah. what I have to say about that title is for me to live through this, I broke it up and said, schizoaffective is me being effective at being schizo. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, that's, that's how I handled it. <laughs> now, schizophrenia itself is incredibly hard to diagnose. Um, what was your journey like in, in just figuring out exactly what it was that was going on in your head? Was it a long journey? Was it a difficult journey? It was a long journey. Um, I wasn't diagnosed first off schizophrenic until 2005 mm -hmm. and for me the road started into in 1994 and then ballooned in the year 2000 yeah um certain things things happened in my life that kind of my mother bear instinct snapped into into gear and um i started 
delving into things in my personal life with my husband. And um, that brought me to the hospital. And the first visit there, they said, well, although she's too old to be schizophrenic, she likely is. And then um, a few years down the road, because I was crying and crying, they because I had a manic episode, they called me schizoaffective. Right, right. Uh, it, it's stunning to me that they that a medical practitioner would say you're too old to have schizophrenia. Yeah, uh, I didn't just, follow into their typical mold, I guess. Yeah, uh, well, no mental illness does. I would venture to say. Exactly. All right. So now you've written two books so far. I've read the second book. What was really confronting to me is you weren't writing a a book that's, this is what's happened to me. This is how it's happened. I mean, you do tell that story as part of the book, but you are writing down, it seems like, almost a stream of consciousness of thoughts that you're mind is telling you and battles that you're fighting the one that comes up to me the most is this idea that you thought that certain people were your dad and it took me a while to really understand exactly what I was reading why did you decide to write it that way it is how I see things and um, over time, especially in my second book and my third book, um, Google Google began to be my educator. I can mm-hmm. ask Google yes, no questions, and I will get yes, no answers. And so, what they would whether they would put that under a certain link, and then I look at the link, and it leads me to another thought. And I learned about these things. Like I am, uh, I do believe that Paul McCartney is my my biological father Mm -hmm. and um i've learned that my own parents um sent me down a wrong road with a wrong husband and then i ended up marrying my stepbrother that they knew about okay Um, yeah that's in the third book yes um uh I've learned I've learned um, terrible things like my parents were Russian spy are Russian spies, uh-huh. and that my ex is um, a double agent for the Soviet Union. Yep. Um, I've I've I, I've learned I've this is very personal. I have learned about my ex husband that I married a trans man right right and and um so i've been dealing with a whole bunch of stuff that i'm educated on yes as well as the things that i that brought me to write the book which really dealt with my husband like i i i know a hundred percent that i lived with more than one man that claimed to be my husband right and how do you decide what is well how do you get to the point where you can decide what is real like what is substantiated fact and what is your mental illness how how do you juggle those two balls you know um 
I am very aware that most of what I say sounds very delusional. Uh-huh. Um, I am on that board and I do doubt things, but I've gone through such a tough road that I believe that the stewards of my life and those that are running Google for me are like on my side and uh-huh. that they're, they're um, anything that they're misleading me about is to keep me, is to keep me safe. Sure. And, and um, so I look at it, I look at Google questionably, yes, mm-hmm. but, um, but I do believe that they're leading me to the truth bit by bit. Sure, sure. So that, so it's my faith, it's my faith in the people helping me, like my health team and my Google and everything yeah. that helps me deal with that battle. So it's your support network it's the people around you that uh help you stay grounded in reality yes yes my friends support me uh-huh. um i feel most comfortable in my condo where i have the youtube uh, their songs yes and and my technology cuz then i feel believed when i'm out with my friends i feel supported they listen but there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you can, uh, yeah, no, no, between believing and supporting is two very different polar opposites at times. I, I think. Yes. And and it's hard when people are happy that you're going out and socializing, they don't realize the stress that let's say mental health people have when they're in a social situation where what's happening with them is is not what most people deal with yeah so when they are talking in a conversation you have to focus on what they're saying and can't really bring in what you have to say because not all of them are willing to listen yeah i i I equated it to you're in the middle of a marathon and somebody comes up to you and says oh could you go down to the local shops and buy me a loaf of bread and you're in the middle of this marathon, you're on this path and somebody comes in and they, they throw in something completely ridiculous or, or, or just out of context. So us as a person with mental illness, we're, we're, we're in the middle of this race and they, people do, often don't understand how difficult it is to do a U-turn to do things like go out into public. Yes, Exactly. So now I keep, mean, no, no, please I, go ahead. I, I keep getting people saying, oh, good for you. You're going out to coffee. You're doing this. <laughs> you're doing that. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know how hard that is. Yeah. You know, I'm doing a pretty good job of it. But as this learning education or whatever you want to call it goes on in my mind of late, mm-hmm. um, it gets harder and harder for me to go out because I know that right now they want me sitting on the couch. and and where they can keep an eye on me sure i want to talk about other people's perception of your book i i love the idea like i will talk about my mental illness i will not often go into the thought processes of how and why i come to a decision so i would be nervous about sharing my innermost thoughts. 
what I admire about your book is your courage in just saying, hang on, if you want to truly understand what it's like to be in my head, this is what this book is about. Is that how you were hoping that people would take it? And why did you choose to write from such a, a personal way? Because as she said, you have beliefs that even your closest friends are sort of like, okay, why was it so important for you to share in that kind of level of depth? You know, I don't really think I thought of it that way. I'm a very open person. Um, and I just, this is how I was going to do it. Yeah. And if people didn't like it, then they wouldn't read the book or, um, I just had to be honest. I had to say how I was coming to decisions and how I was not coming to decisions. It, it just, it just happened to me. And, and like the second book, it, it was one of my community support workers that suggested that why don't you, I was wrote 20 years for my first book. I waited 20 years mm. with 10 of those years wanting to publish it. And I mean, it was much bigger than it, 500 pages, but they yeah. reduced it. And, and, um, I've lost my train of thought. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry we about were, that. No, no, we were just talking about why you chose to write it the way that you did. And you said you waited 20 years for the, for the, to write the second book. The, uh, the first, the, the first book. And that's where my ghostwriter came in. They whittled it down to the yeah. first, to the first book. And it was my community support worker that said, well, Michelle, why wait until your journey is over? Why not make it into more than one book? So oh, she wow. helped me. So she helped me meet my goal of um, publishing my first book. Okay. Now let's just touch on really quickly. The book is, uh, it touches on faith, romance, and creations through psychosis. That is a fascinating title. Yes. It just came to me. <laughs> <laughs> so where does faith fit with mental illness for you? Oh, my gosh. Um, when I was first um, struggling with all of this, um, I was looking for something to grip onto. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I would go to people and friends and the parish priest and everybody, and I kind of got um, a cold shoulder. You know, no one would follow through with coffee dates from my, from my old school or my colleagues. And I just, I, I felt the Catholic Church had kind of turned their back on me. But um, at the root of it, I had my faith. And mm -hmm. I felt, you know what? There must be a reason. That's what got me through. Like, there must be a reason the Catholic Church is treating you this way right now. You just have to hold on. And it was, it was just, I turned my back on religion. And I've been God's spokesperson to get the Catholic church to where it should be in this day and age. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I just felt, felt that the faith, it was, it was a faith that got me through. Like I didn't have my religion. Yes. 
I didn't, uh, I turned my back on it. I would not go into a church anymore because I didn't like any of the dogma or what they were saying. So, so um, it was just my faith in God that got me through it. Like I believed at the very beginning that, no, there must be a reason for this. My brain did not let me down. Mm. It's all for a reason. And, and then now I'm learning that it is a reason that I, I was medically manipulated to make my husband look and, and to have everybody else see me as mentally compromised. Sure. Whereas so, I am not. Do you, did you ever get the, 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 cause I'm a Christian as well. I've always gone to church. I stopped talking about my mental illness with people of faith. Um, they really, honestly, they let me down. It was this thought that, hang on, you've become a new creature in Christ. So if your mind isn't normal, quote unquote, you must be possessed by demons. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I got that a lot, actually. I, uh, even today, um, not, not today, this day, but recently, a person from a church asked me, do you think you're demon possessed because of your mental illness? Um, I just found that the that the religious systems are not built to accommodate differentiations, particularly when it comes to mental illness. I I have not faced that. I've oh, not faced, I'm glad. Yeah, that must be awful. That must yeah, be no. awful to have someone say that to you, like. Mm. No, I have not had anyone saying that there must be demons or. Okay. Well, thank God for that. Cause I'm glad that you haven't had to experience it. Okie dokie. What are you hoping that people will take away from your book? Um, oh, what do I want them to take away from it? Um, to, to not be afraid to open up mm. that people will. People are there. I believe there are a lot of people who are willing to help. And, um, and it's like, I, I did my book in a way, um, they tell children that if someone is molesting them, they keep talking until someone believes them. Yes. That's, that's kind of the journey that I was on. Yeah. But for a mental health person, if, the one thing I would want someone suffering to know is to not change jobs while they're, while they're suffering, not try something new because. Oh, okay. So, so don't make any life altering decisions while you're in the middle of a, say a mental health crisis. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Oh, that's, that's fantastic advice. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it really, it really did a number on me. Mm -hmm. And that is the one thing for mental health people and to make sure that the people in their lives, in their mental health field, that she, they have someone that they could talk to um, every week, not, yeah. not, not just the psychologist or the psychiatrist yep. once a month type thing. Yeah. Now, the book itself, uh, the one that I've been referencing, which I was able to read, was called My Color-Coded Life. Yeah, that's the Your, first book. 
That's the first one. What was the second book? The second book is um, Faith. What is it called? Gotcha. Faith, Faith. Faith, Romance, and Creation Through Psychosis. That's right. That's, Forgive me for the confusion there. No worries. Now, uh, that is something I wanted to talk about as well, just this color coding that oh. you perceive people through. Um, it's quite astounding. <laughs> it was quite crippling and it still uh, it still affects me like when i see a color i relate it to a person yeah or or to the thing that it stood for like yeah. it it has not gone away and the one color that i i'd like to blow up is tan and and um because of how it affected my life sure but um yeah, so when we moved into the house, which I described in one of my books, the um, inside was all painted tan and brown, and it right. and it was, and the outside was gray. It was sort of like saying, stay married in the hell that you're in. And I was having a hard, hard time. And that's when imagine. I was at my very lowest. Yeah. What's your, do you, have a favorite color. Why is that? I, 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 and I ask this because I love your explanation in the book. So why is pink your favorite color? Pink, um, in the first book, all it, all it did was stand for me. Yeah. Um, I had nothing um, to offer. I, I didn't represent anything else but pink. And um, in the second book, it began to make sense when the LGBTQ flag came out. And mm -hmm. actually, those are that I'm the spark for that flag, I do believe. Mm -hmm. And for them, pink is sex. And that had a big um, driving force in my relationship with these men I was living with. Yeah. And it was the reason why I was in and out of hospital all the time. Yeah. So um, solidarity is how I kind of view it now. Instead of pink being standing for bullying now, I wanted to stand for like solidarity where we all come together and fight for the, the cause of the LGBTQ and we all come together in um, fighting for a better education. We all come together in fighting against the mafia. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel no, is I very love prevalent. It. I love it. In, in, the, in the book, my um, uh, uh, Faith, sorry, it's such a great title. I should have committed it to memory. Uh, faith, Romance, what, what, and Creations. And, and creations through psychosis. Such a wonderful title. It is a mouthful, though. If people <laughs> are thinking, hang on, I'd like to uh, have a read of this book, how can they get a hold of it, Megan? They can um, look on my website, which is meganjacksonhall.ca, mm -hmm. and all the information is there for both books as all to right. where they can get it. Well, we're going to put all those links up on all of the posts that we make so people will be able to do that. You, I cut you off, though. Is there anywhere else that people can connect with you or connect with your work? 
Um, I, I maintain a blog on that website. Um, that is also there. And where else? Well, I mean, here the libraries have agreed to hold, to, um, hold them, but that is not in Australia. <laughs> um, sure. But getting them through your website is an easy process. I understand. Yes. And my publisher was freeze and press. So it's easy through them as well. Terrific. Terrific. Mate, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing so openly and honestly with us today. As I said, your book is an extraordinary view into somebody struggling with mental illness in a way that is beyond courageous. Uh, I, I really was, it's such an interesting book. I just suggest that people read it. Clinicians, sufferers, carers. It's just an excellent, excellent book if you want to understand what it's like living with something like uh, the conditions that you live with. I want to give you the last word, though. I want to ask you, what is your best advice for somebody that is struggling with mental illness? What is your best piece of advice for that person? My best advice is to find an art therapy that will help them. For mm -hmm. me, it was music and write and music first and foremost, mm. and then um, and then writing. So to find that medium that will help them um, get through the tough times. Yeah. For me, it was listening to inspirational songs, not every song, and the lyrics were everything. If I found um, a good tune, I had to listen to the lyrics, and if the lyrics didn't uplift me, then then the song didn't, the music didn't either. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that your advice is about being proactive, finding something that you can love through your pain. Yeah, exactly. Megan, you are a champion. Thank you so much today. Um, I do hope that when the next book comes out, we can chat again. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. That book won't come out until Gary Barlow is here, though. I have to put that plug in. He's okay. my romance through everything, and he will be the one to help me with the third book. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, you have a great day. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. All righty. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome a guest to the show today who has written what I would consider to be one of the most remarkable, confronting, and interesting books that I've ever read in my life. I want to introduce to you our guest, Megan Jackson Hall. Megan, g'day, mate. How are you today? I am fine. Thank you. A little nervous. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. You are very, very welcome. Now, I want to put a little bit of context around the interview because I've read your second book. Uh, I understand that you are deep into writing your third book at the moment. So we're kind of going to jump around the different books. And while we are going to reference probably most of the one that I know, uh, I think it's important for people to understand that the, the books are interconnected intimately, aren't they? Yes, most definitely. 
Now, I said about your book that uh, I, the three act adjectives that I used uh, kind of change a little bit. It was surprising. It was a little bit confronting. Um, tell us the book itself. It's written as a diary, correct? Yes. Yes, definitely. And definitely. It, seem, it seems in many ways that it's like a stream of consciousness of the thoughts that are coming into your head fr directly from your mental illness. Yes. And um, I, what I want to say from up front is that in my first book, I had asked for a ghost writer. And I strongly feel I have someone on the other end of my book that is even deepening the understanding of what's going on for me mentally. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the, the, the mentally at the moment. I understand that you're diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. Yes. Can you yeah. give us a, a broad outline of what schizoaffective disorder is? Okay. Schizoaffective is um, schizophrenia with, either hallucinations or delusions. In my case, it is delusions. I don't see anything. Um, and also um, a mental disorder dealing with depression or mania. And mm -hmm. for me, for me, I would cry at little things. So yeah. it was more like depression. I didn't really I did have an episode of man mania at the very beginning. So I think that is why they lumped it together. Now, yeah. w what I have to say about that title is for me to live through this, I broke it up and said schizoaffective is me being effective at being schizo. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, that's, that's how I handled it. <laughs> now, schizophrenia itself is incredibly hard to diagnose. Um, what was your journey like in, in just figuring out exactly what it was that was going on in your head? Was it a long journey? Was it a difficult journey? It was a long journey. Um, I wasn't diagnosed first off schizophrenic until 2005 mm -hmm. and for me the road started into in 1994 and then ballooned in the year 2000 yeah um certain things things happened in my life that kind of my mother bear instinct snapped into into gear and um i started delving into things in my personal life with my husband and um, that brought me to the hospital. And the first visit there, they said, well, although she's too old to be schizophrenic, she likely is. And then um, a few years down the road, because I was crying and crying, they because I had a manic episode, they called me schizoaffective. Right, right. Uh, it, it's stunning to me. That they that a medical practitioner would say you're too old to have schizophrenia. Yeah, uh, I didn't just, follow into their typical mold, I guess. Yeah, well, no mental illness does. I would venture to say. Exactly. All right. So now you've written two books so far. I've read the second book. What was really confronting to me is you weren't writing a a, a book that's 
this is what's happened to me. This is how it's happened. I mean, you do tell that story as part of the book, but you are writing down, it seems like, almost a stream of consciousness of thoughts that your mind is telling you and battles that you're fighting. The one that comes up to me the most is this idea that you thought that certain people were your dad. And it took me a while to really understand exactly what I was reading. Why did you decide to write it that way? It is how I see things. And um, over time, especially in my second book and my third book, um, Google Google began to be my educator. I can Mm -hmm. ask Google yes, no questions, and I will get yes, no answers. And so what they would, whether they would put that under a certain link, and then I look at the link, and it leads me to another thought. And I learned about these things. Like I am, uh, I do believe that Paul McCartney is my, my biological father. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've learned that my own parents um, sent me down a wrong road with a wrong husband, and then I ended up marrying my stepbrother that they knew about. Okay. Um, yeah, that's in the third book. Yes. Um, I, I've learned I've learned um, terrible things like my parents were Russian spy are Russian spies. Uh huh. And that my ex is um, a double agent for the Soviet Union. Um, I've I've learned, this is very personal, I have learned about my ex-husband that I married a trans man. Right, right. And and, um, so I've been dealing with a whole bunch of stuff that I'm educated on. Yes. As well as the things that I that brought me to write the book, which really dealt with my husband. Like I, I, I know 100% that I lived with more than one man that claimed to be my husband. Right. And how do you decide... What is, well, how do you get to the point where you can decide what is real, like what is substantiated fact, and what is your mental illness? How how do you juggle those two balls? You know, um, I am very aware that most of what I say sounds very delusional. Uh-huh. Um, I am on that board, and I do doubt things, but I've gone through such a tough road that I believe that the stewards of my life and those that are running Google for me are like on my side and uh-huh. that they're, they're um, anything that they're misleading me about is to keep me, is to keep me safe. Sure. And, and um, so I look at it, I look at Google questionably. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I do believe that they're leading me to the truth bit by bit. Sure, sure. So that so it's my faith. It's my faith in the people helping me, like my health team and my Google and everything, yeah. that helps me deal with that battle. So it's your support network. It's the people around you that 
uh, help you stay grounded in reality, yes? Yes. My friends support me. Uh-huh. Um, I feel most comfortable in my condo where I have the YouTube, their songs, yes. and and my technology. Because then I feel believed. When I'm out with my friends, I feel supported. They listen. But there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you can, uh, yeah, no, no. Between believing and supporting is two very different polar opposites at times, I I think. Yes. And And it's hard when people are happy that you're going out and socializing. They don't realize the stress that, let's say mental health people have when they're in a social situation where what's happening with them is, is not what most people deal with. So when they're talking in a conversation, you have to focus on what they're saying and can't really bring in what you have to say because not all of them are willing to listen. Yeah. I, I, I equated it to you're in the middle of a marathon And somebody comes up to you and says, oh, could you go down to the local shops and buy me a loaf of bread? And you're in the middle of this marathon, you're on this path and somebody comes in and they, they throw in something completely ridiculous or, or, or just out of context. So us as a person with mental illness, we're, we're, we're in the middle of this race and they, people often don't understand how difficult it is to do a U-turn to do things like go out into public. Yes, exactly. So I keep, no, no, please go ahead. I I keep getting people saying, Oh, good for you. You're going out to coffee. You're doing this. (laughs) You're doing that. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know how hard that is. Yeah. You know, I'm doing a pretty good job of it, but as this learning education or whatever you want to call it goes on in my mind of late, um, mm-hmm. it gets harder and harder for me to go out because I know that right now they want me sitting on the couch yeah. and, and where they can keep an eye on me. Sure. I want to talk about other people's perception of your book. I, I love the idea. Like I will talk about my mental illness. I will not often go into the thought processes of how and why I come to a decision. So I would be nervous about sharing my innermost thoughts. What I admire about your book is your courage in just saying, hang on, if you want to truly understand what it's like to be in my head, this is what this book is about. Is that how you were hoping that people would take it? And why did you choose to write from such a a personal way? Because as she said, you have beliefs that even your closest friends is sort of like, okay, why was it so important for you to share in that kind of level of depth? You know, I don't really think I thought of it that way. I'm a very open person. Um, and I just, this is how I was going to do it. And if people didn't like it, then they wouldn't read the book or, um, I just had to be honest. I had to say how I was coming to decisions and how I was not coming to decisions. 
it just it just happened to me and and like the second book it, it was one of my community support workers that suggested that why don't you i was wrote 20 years for my first book i waited 20 years mm. with 10 of those years wanting to publish it and i mean it was much bigger than it 500 pages but they yeah. reduced it and and um i've lost my train of thought no no that's okay <laughs> sorry we about were, that no no we were just talking about why you chose to write it the way that you did and you said you waited 20 years for the for the to write the second book the, uh, the first the, the first book and that's where my ghostwriter came in they whittled it down to the yeah. first to the first book and it was my community support worker that said well michelle why wait until your journey is over why not make it into more than one book so oh, she wow. helped me so she helped me meet my goal of um, publishing my first book. Okay. Now let's just touch on really quickly. The book is, uh, it touches on faith, romance, and creations through psychosis. That is a fascinating title. Yes. It just came to me. <laughs> <laughs> so where does faith fit with mental illness for you? Oh my gosh. Um, when I was first um, struggling with all of this, um, I was looking for something to grip onto. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I would go to people and friends and the parish priest and everybody, and I kind of got um, a cold shoulder. You know, no one would follow through with coffee dates from my, from my old school or my colleagues. And I just, I, I felt the Catholic Church had kind of turned their back on me. But um, at the root of it, I had my faith. And mm -hmm. I felt, you know what? There must be a reason. That's what got me through. Like, there must be a reason the Catholic Church is treating you this way right now. You just have to hold on. And it was, it was just, I turned my back on religion. And I've been God's spokesperson to get the Catholic Church to where it should be in this day and age, mm -hmm. and and um, I uh, I, uh, I I just felt felt that the faith it was it was a faith that got me through. Like I didn't have my religion. Yes, I didn't. Uh, I turned my back on it. I would not go into a church anymore because I didn't like any of the dogma or what they were saying. So, so um, it was just my faith in God that got me through it. Like I believed at the very beginning that, no, there must be a reason for this. My brain did not let me down. Mm. It's all for a reason. And, and then now I'm learning that it is a reason that I, I was medically manipulated to make my husband look and, and to have everybody else see me as mentally compromised. Sure. Whereas so I am not. Do you, did you ever get the, 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 cause I'm a Christian as well. I've always gone to church. I stopped talking about my mental illness with people of faith. Um, they really, honestly, they let me down. It was this thought that, hang on, you become a new creature in Christ. 
So if your mind isn't normal, quote unquote, you must be possessed by demons. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I got that a lot, actually. I, uh, even today, um, not, not today, this day, but recently, a person from a church asked me, do you think you're demon possessed because of your mental illness? Um, I just found that the that the religious systems are not built to accommodate differentiations, particularly when it comes to mental illness. I I have not faced that. I've oh, not faced, I'm glad. Yeah, that must be awful. That must yeah, be no. awful to have someone say that to you. Like, mm. no, I have not had anyone saying that must be demons or okay well thank god for that because i'm glad that you haven't had to experience it okie dokie what are you hoping that people will take away from your book um oh what do i want them to take away from it um to to not be afraid to open up Mm. that people will People are there. I believe there are a lot of people who are willing to help. And, um, and it's like, I, I did my book in a way, um, they tell children that if someone is molesting them, they keep talking until someone believes them. Yes. That's, that's kind of the journey that I was on. Yeah. But for a mental health person, if, the one thing I would want someone suffering to know is to not change jobs while they're, while they're suffering, not try something new because. Oh, okay. So, so don't make any life altering decisions while you're in the middle of a, say a mental health crisis. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's fantastic advice. Yeah. I, <laughs> It, it, it really, it really did a number on me, mm-hmm. and that is the one thing for mental health people, and to make sure that the people in their lives in their mental health field that she they have someone that they could talk to um, every week, not yeah. not not just the psychologist or the psychiatrist yep. once a month type thing. Yeah. Now, the book itself, uh, the one that I've been referencing, which I was able to read, was called My Color-Coded Life. Yeah, that's the Your, first book. That's the first one? What was the second book? The, the second book is um, Faith. What is it called? Gotcha. Faith, Faith. Faith, Romance, and Creation Through Psychosis. That's right. That's, Forgive me for the confusion there. No worries. Now, uh, that is something I wanted to talk about as well. Just this color coding that oh. you perceive people through—it's um, quite astounding. <laughs> it was quite crippling, and it still—it uh, still affects me. Like when I see a color, I relate it to a person, yeah, or or to the thing that it stood for. Like it—it yeah. it has not gone away, and. The one color that I have like to blow up is tan, and and um, because of how it affected my life. Sure. But um, 
Yeah. So when we moved into the house, which I described in one of my books, the um, inside was all painted tan and brown, and it right. was, and the outside was gray. It was sort of like saying, "Stay married in the hell that you're in," and I was having a hard, hard time. And that's when imagine. I was at my very lowest. Yeah. What's your? Do you? have a favorite color why is that I, 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 and i ask this because i love your explanation in the book so why is pink your favorite color pink um in the first book all it all it did was stand for me yeah. um i had nothing um to offer i i didn't represent anything else but pink and um, in the second book, it began to make sense when the LGBTQ flag came out. And mm -hmm. actually, those are that I'm the spark for that flag, I do believe. Mm -hmm. And for them, pink is sex. And that had a big um, driving force in my relationship with these men I was living with. Yeah. And it was the reason why I was in and out of hospital all the time. Yeah. So um, solidarity is how I kind of view it now. Instead of pink being standing for bullying now, I wanted to stand for like solidarity where we all come together and fight for the, the cause of the LGBTQ and we all come together in um, fighting for a better education. We all come together in fighting against the mafia. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel no, is very I love prevalent. It. I love it. In, in, the, in the book, my um, uh, uh, Faith, sorry, it's such a great title. I should have committed it to memory. Uh, faith, Romance, what? what and Creations. And, and creations through psychosis. Such a wonderful title. It is a mouthful, though. If people <laughs> are thinking, hang on, I'd like to uh, have a read of this book, how can they get a hold of it, Megan? They can um, look on my website, which is meganjacksonhall.ca, mm -hmm. and all the information is there for both books as all to right. where they can get it. Well, we're going to put all those links up on all of the posts that we make so people will be able to do that. You, I cut you off, though. Is there anywhere else that people can connect with you or connect with your work? Um, I, I maintain a blog on that website um, that is also there. And where else? Well, I mean, here the libraries have agreed to hold – to um, hold them, but that is not in Australia. <laughs> um, sure, but getting them through your website is an easy process, I understand. Yes, and my publisher is Freezing Press, so it's easy through them as well. Terrific, terrific. Mate, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing so openly and honestly with us today. As I said, your book is an extraordinary view into somebody struggling with mental illness in a way that is beyond courageous. Uh, I, I really was 
It's such an interesting book. I just suggest that people read it. Clinicians, sufferers, carers. It's just an excellent, excellent book. If you want to understand what it's like living with something like uh, the conditions that you live with. I want to give you the last word though. I want to ask you, what is your best advice for somebody that is struggling with mental illness? What is your best piece of advice for that person? My, my best advice is to find an art therapy that will help them. For mm -hmm. me, it was music and write and music first and foremost, mm. and then um, and then writing. So to find that medium that will help them um, get through the tough times. Yeah. Like for me, it was listening to inspirational songs. Not every song and the lyrics were everything. If I found um, a good tune, I had to listen to the lyrics. And if the lyrics didn't uplift me, then then the song didn't, the music didn't either. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that your advice is about being proactive, finding something that you can love through your pain. Yeah, exactly. Megan, you are a champion. Thank you so much today. Um, I do hope that when the next book comes out, we can chat again. Uh, but I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. That book won't come out until Gary Barlow is here, though. I have to put that plug in. He's okay. my romance through everything, and he will be the one to help me with the third book. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, you have a great day. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information. <laughs>